Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello and welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name is Caitlin Durante. And my name is Jamie Loftus. Happy three-year anniversary, Jamie. I know, this is so exciting. It doesn't feel like it's been that long, but it also, it's been like the weirdest three years in the history of the country, so it also feels like forever. True. Congratulations. Congratulations to you. Hey, here we are. Wow. We just got fish tacos. All we just... Hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista, <laughs> bitch wow wow feminist. now it's feminist now it's feminist, <laughs> now it's feminist. <laughs> we we lived it we did it <laughs> so today that is why it's just the two of us just the two of us mm-hmm. we're doing a little celebratory three-year anniversary episode just we got our fish tacos we watched two movies not one mm-hmm. and uh, i'm excited about it yeah so uh, before we jump in just the regular biz out of the way uh, oh yeah what is the podcast what is who are we and Whoops. what have we been doing for three years good lord <laughs> honestly existential <laughs> couldn't tell you <laughs> well this is our podcast about the portrayal of women in movies mm-hmm. uh, and it is based around or as a jumping off point for our discussion, we use the Bechdel test. Yes, sometimes Some- called the Bechdel-Wallace test. Absolutely. And that is, of course, a media metric developed by cartoonist Alison Bechdel mm-hmm. uh, that requires that two female identifying characters mm-hmm. in a movie have mm-hmm. to have names. They have to talk to each other about something other than a man for at least two lines by our standard. Our, our relatively low standard, the which bar. hasn't changed. <laughs> right. Maybe it's time to... I I mean, it's the tricky thing is if we demand more, nothing will pass. Exactly. Oh, what a nightmare. I, You know, maybe we should have gone. You know, it would be funny if we were like, I'm going to start a feminist movie podcast or a James Cameron fan podcast. <laughs> this episode would have a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. James Cameron is... Oof, what, is what is going on? Multitudes. He what is going on with that person? Yeah. 
Uh, we're talking about Terminators yes. uh, today because a new one just came out. Uh-huh. About uh, a month ago. I, I did not see it. I saw it and I have a little bit to say. So so if you haven't seen it yet, I'll, I'll give a spoiler warning. A spoiler, spoiler alert. warning. But uh, we'll talk about that a little later on. Yeah. But these are some of my favorite movies, which is why I insisted <laughs> that we do them. So what is it? What is your history with the Terminator franchise and like these two specifically? By the way, we're covering the Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Correct. Yes. Uh, I saw them both when I was 16 years old. Back to back? Yes, because my family owned, not unlike the James Cameron Titanic 2 VHS tapes. Oh, did they sell it in a bundle? Yes. So my family had the T1 and T2 VHS bundle box set. Uh And they were in my house for a few years, but I just like didn't pay them any mind. And then one day I was like, I'm 16 years old. It's time for me to watch Terminator. And I... (laughs) Wow, it's a rite of passage. (laughs) And I watched them both on the same day, back to back. And I loved them, especially T2, which is, I think, widely considered the the favorite, uh, the better movie. Although there, I've met a number of people who like Terminator 1 better. Mm. uh, And I think they're silly, Wow. But also, you know, to each Drag their own. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I would I would rank T two among my like top ten favorite movies of all time. Wow, like, to this I, day, to this day, wow, I love that movie particularly. And just, I mean, I and, well, okay. So then I saw those, and I was like, I guess I'm a huge Terminator fan now. Mm-hmm. So I have been for you know going on f- fifteen plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines in theaters it was terrible it was bad i saw terminator salvation in theaters it was like fine but i never felt the need to watch it again mm-hmm. skipped terminator genesis and then daenerys I... connor <laughs> right yeah but then i uh did see terminator dark fate on opening day okay what's your history jamie nothing didn't care <laughs> about him uh honestly not crazy about him now yeah I, I liked t2 a lot from a feminist perspective mm-hmm. there's a lot about t2 in particular to love i love watching sarah connor kick ass it's just not if you've been listening to the podcast this is never going to be a movie that appeals to me right i don't like 80s blockbusters in general i get dragged in the reviews sometimes uh and i have this to say sorry for being so fucking young uh <laughs> <laughs> no i just i'd never seen these before Mm -hmm. Uh, prepping for this episode because I intuited that they were not for me and that was generally true. I think that there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about, though. I am yeah. I'm I'm excited to talk about it, but especially like Terminator One in particular. I'm just like, Pfft. I mean, it's the effects are pretty of the time, just like the synth score that's it's happening. Fun. I mean, it's that's like fun. it's fun, but it's like pretty silly. I like respect its place in history and all that, and it is kind of cool from like a filmmaking perspective to see like a movie that clearly was not being set up to have a sequel then have a sequel and Mm -hmm. have the sequel be so much better right um because i feel like that very rarely happens true and also except for paddington too of course but like i mean of course i mean those are the two major (laughs) majorly cited ones t1 and t2 and 
P1 and P2. And depending on who you are, the Cheetah Girls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just had never uh, gotten around to seeing it. And, you know, now I can't say that anymore. And mm-hmm. that's my history with Great. the Terminator <laughs> franchise. I'm not going to see the new one because I have to go see Parasite 500 more times. Of course. Yeah. Well, should we dive into the recap? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I'll and I'll do my best to do a more condensed version of the recap than usual for both movies since we are covering two. two. Of them. So if 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 things aren't as thorough as you like, um, we do have to remind you after three years, it is still a free podcast. <laughs> uh, we've been very defensive lately. I I mean also, honestly, people are coming at us more and more for being so. like read a book. I'm like, uh, I, we we're not legally free. required to read a book. <laughs> First okay. of all, we have never purported to have read a book. True, and we okay. never will. And nor would we. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, The Terminator, 1984. Yes. But we open in Los Angeles. Ever heard of it? Yup. In 2029. It's a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Mm-hmm. Little did they know that we were not even going to survive until 2029. True. Yeah, or that might actually be the last year. Maybe they were right. Anyways. Uh Uh-huh, true. Yeah, yeah. Um, But there's a war happening between humans and machines. Then we cut back to L.A. in 1984. Two people show up out of thin air. One of them is Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is a Terminator, who has been sent back in time to kill Sarah Connor. And you see his butt. You see his butt. Yep. You see the, I mean, the nudity choices in this movie are, I think, very interesting. True. The, there's more male nudity than female nudity. That yeah. never happens. I know. Uh, the other is Kyle Reese, a soldier from the human resistance in the future who is sent back to protect Sarah Connor. Uh, Then we meet Sarah Connor. She is a young woman. She works as a server. Uh, But the reason she's being targeted by the Terminator is because she is the mother of John Connor, the leader of the human resistance in the war against the machines in the future. Which is good because we all know that the value of a woman is uh, ascribed to uh, whose mother she is. Right. Oh, yes. We'll talk all about that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And the machines figure out that if they can go back in time and kill John Connor's mother, then they won't have to deal with John Connor. So both Reese and the Terminator get their hands on some guns and then they go to try to find Sarah. The Terminator starts killing every Sarah Connor in the phone book and then he goes to kill Sarah at home only she's not home but her roommate Ginger is and the Terminator kills her thinking it's Sarah. Right right after she has sex because it's the 80s. Right because women who have sex in a you know scary movie uh, have to die. But again at least the man dies as well. True. Uh, Meanwhile, the deaths of these other Sarah Connors are being reported on on the news and Sarah hears about it. So naturally she starts freaking out. And also at this time, Sarah notices that this dude is stalking her. It's Reese, but she assumes that it's the guy who's been killing these other Sarah Connors. Well, but as we know, Caitlin, the guy who is stalking you actually is Is your your husband, (laughs) is your baby daddy. Right. Uh, I think there's a lot of good lessons Mm -hmm. right at the top. Yes. Yeah. So then the Terminator figures out where Sarah is and he goes to kill her. But Reese intercepts him and saves Sarah by shooting the Terminator. Except it's really hard to kill Terminators. So he gets back up and keeps chasing them. And then Reese is like, Sarah, come with me if you want to live. 
So they escape, and Sarah's like, what the fuck? Who are you? What's going on? Right, which fair. Legitimate questions. Yeah. And Reese explains everything that I explained just a moment ago, including how the Terminator is a cyborg. Right. Armored alloy endoskeleton underneath living human tissue. There's a lot of this movie that is just things being explained to the alleged protagonist (laughs) of the movie. Uh Yep. And also that this Terminator will not stop until Sarah Connor is dead. Yeah. He also explains the nuclear war that will take place a few years from now that the machines started because they became artificially intelligent. And more about that in Terminator 2. Ooh. Meanwhile, the Terminator is still chasing them and he has Terminator vision. So he's very oh good my God. at it's finding them. <laughs> great. It's, it's like target detected and where it's like computer enhance enhance <laughs> some great hacker imagery uh-huh for yeah. sure and then there's a car chase uh, a crash and then sarah and reese are taken into police custody and a criminal psychologist dr silberman talks to them and everyone based on the information that reese gives thinks that Reese is crazy because he's claiming to be a time traveler from the future who was sent back to stop a cyborg from killing Sarah. Right. So they're like, he is delusional. And she is also not sure. Right. At this point, whether she believes him either. Right. And then the Terminator shows up at the police station and we get the famous I'll be back line. And he kills several of the police officers, but Reese manages to get loose. He and Sarah escape Mm -hmm. again. And Reese tells Sarah, he's like, by the way, my name is Kyle. And then we realize that there's Kyle visibility in this movie. I know. You're like, wow, (laughs) we're really making space for Kyle's here. (laughs) Interesting. I mean, shout out to all our Kyle fans. But but also like take a good long look in the mirror. (laughs) Um, Okay, so then they go to a motel, and Reese makes some bombs to try to kill the Terminator with. And and then he makes some love. And then he makes some love. (laughs) In what I am so excited to describe later, it's it's James Cameron's pervy corner. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're going to read the script. I'm (laughs) so thrilled. Can't wait. Oh, it's disgusting. So then the Terminator finds them again, and there's another chase scene and a big explosion, which melts off the Terminator's, like, fleshy exterior. Mm-hmm. Hot. Hot. <laughs> literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. And he chases Sarah and Reese through what I think is, like, a robotics factory? Some kind of factory. And It looks expensive. Yeah. Reese gets killed. And then Sarah finally crushes the Terminator in a hydraulic press. And then she says, you're a terminated fucker. We're like, we're like, whoa, she got to do something. (laughs) Made you wait till the end. But Mm. Uh, and then we cut to a few months later and she is pregnant. She is Grignet as (laughs) heck. With her son, John. Greg. Greg. Greg Greg Connor. Connor. (laughs) I mean, would it have killed them to call him Greg? It wouldn't have. Wouldn't have. Because Kyle Reese made her gregnant. He gregnatted her the yeah for one one shot Kyle over there. <laughs> really fertile guy that Kyle. Definitely. Or her. I mean, I guess we don't know. Maybe they're both very fertile. It's a group effort after <laughs> all. And then we see her recording what's basically a podcast for. <laughs> 
for her son. Her son. For her son. John. Greg. Greg. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the end of that movie. Yeah. Now for Terminator 2, Judgment Judgment Day. Day. Which is another biblical reference inside of... What we can't deny is the 14 bajillionth Christ narrative trying to not be a Christ narrative. That's very true. But until you said that earlier when we were watching T2, it had never crossed my mind that this was a Christ narrative. I feel like it's because I'm just seeing it, though. Mm -hmm. Like, if I had seen it when I was young, I wouldn't have. But now I'm just, I'm so sick. Like, even movies I'm loving right now are still about fathers and sons. I'm so, I love Parasite. I'll see it a million times. It's not even a spoiler a father and son joint Mm -hmm. you're just like uh i've just we get it it's complicated for you guys (laughs) there's been an i just whatever it's a father and son sure okay (sighs) and then this this, yeah i mean for t2 especially so yeah uh we open with some more shots of la in 2029 being a post-apocalyptic wasteland Mm -hmm. sarah connor's voiceover kicks in saying that three billion lives ended on august 29th 1997 that's some like thor shit some snappy snappy the finger wait not thor sorry Oh no, I'm canceled. Thanos. Wow. I wouldn't, I, not to brag, but I'm fucking cool and I don't see those movies. Uh, well, I'm cool and I do see them. Mr. We're both cool. Mr. Thanos and his little glovey. Yes. But this time, brilliant observation. Thanos is Skynet, which is Ooh. the name of my external hard drive. I named it Skynet. <laughs> yep. Really? Yep. <laughs> there's also a real Skynet now. Like there's a government project called Skynet, which uh, yikes. I hate. Anyway, so uh, August 29th, 97 is has been deemed Judgment Day mm-hmm. uh, from the people in the future because of this nuclear attack that was initiated by the machines. Right. So then we cut back to, I think it's either 94 or 95. I think it is. Wait, let me check because I think it may be 97 for some reason. 97 is when Judgment Day happens. Oh, so wait. It's so it's a few years before that. So th- Okay, never mind. It's, it's 94 me. or 95. Okay. Uh, and two people show up out of thin air again. One of them is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Duh. And he's bad to the bone. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're like, okay, we know this scene was done better in the parent trap, but <laughs> nice effort. Jimmy Cams. Uh, yes. And then the other person is Robert Patrick from Spy Kids fame, his right. best known role. That's all we care that, that he's done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. And both of them are trying to reach young John Connor. Uh, One of them is trying to kill him and one is trying to protect him. Greg. Greg. Sorry. Greg Greg Connor. So Greg Connor (laughs) has been living in foster care for the past few years because his mom, Sarah Connor, ever heard of her? Yeah. Has been in a psychiatric hospital because everyone thinks she is delusional when she talks about Judgment Day and time-traveling killer cyborgs. And she's tried to escape a number of times, uh, and it seems like she's gotten close, but they keep putting her under more and more surveillance, and so now she's focused on getting very, very strong. Right. She's doing pull-ups. Pull-ups. Oh, my God. Um, Doctor... Felt them in my body. (laughs) Dr. Silberman from the first movie is there, and he's the one who's, like... She is, like, under his supervision. Yes. Um, Then we cut to Cyberdyne Systems, where this dude, Miles Dyson, is using technology from the Terminator that Sarah Connor crushed in the first movie Mm -hmm. to develop other technology. 
meanwhile, John, Con- Greg, Connor, Greg is at a. He goes sh- by Greg. He goes by Greg. <laughs> he <laughs> is sure. at a shopping mall, which may or may not be the Glendale Galleria. We don't know. Uh, Headcanon, it's the Glendale Galleria. And we're like, go across the street to the Americana. Right. Go inside. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the two guys who showed up in the beginning are both after him. And just when you think Arnold Schwarzenegger is the bad Terminator again, psych, he's, he's the protector. <gasps> he's the nice one. The first time I saw this when I was 16 years old, I was like, oh my freaking God, I can't believe it. <laughs> he's a good one. He's, and he's cra- but he's like, he pulls the gun out of the box of roses and then he steps on the rose and you think he's going to kill John Connor, but just kidding, he saves him. So that means the other guy is the bad Terminator. Uh, and he right. is a T-1000, a more advanced model Which than Arnold. that he can turn into like Animorphs goop. <laughs> Doesn't it look like he looks like an Animorph? Like if Animorphs had a way bigger... I, I'm guessing that's what Animorphs was ripping off. Like they were trying to do that effect. Did you ever watch Animorphs? I didn't, no. Oh, it was a TV show about kids that could turn I remember into the books. owls. Yeah, yeah, and they would turn into like silver goop and they were like, oh, I'm an owl now. <laughs> kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, so he's, <laughs> he's made of like liquid metal and he yeah. can shape shift and then also like turn his arms into swords. It kind of looks like a screensaver too, the way that the liquid metal looks. It looks like an old screensaver. Right. I mean, it's like 1991 CGI, which was right. like just the very beginning of CGI, but it's like but it's pretty impressive. good effects. Yeah. yeah. No, it's cool. I mean, even like seeing the guy shapeshift uh, between different like people and into goo, like it is, it still looks scary. Yeah. And then John Connor is like, hey, Arnold, get it? Ha. <laughs> now He's we're like, talking. We, <laughs> we got to go get my mom. So they drive and go to pick up Sarah Connor, but she's already like halfway escaped from the hospital. In a scene that I now realize Kill Bill is very much ripping off. Potentially, yes. Um, I feel like there's no way. I mean, it's like Quentin Tarantino saw Terminator 2. <laughs> like, because there's, I mean, the beats are pretty close to identical where it's Sarah Connor. I mean, what happens to Uma Thurman's character is is like a more severe assault. Right. But she's assaulted while she's unconscious. She comes to and she kills everyone in the hospital or, you know, injures them mm-hmm. beyond and, and then is able to escape. Yeah, true. It's exciting. So yeah, she's she's well on her way to escaping, but then she sees Arnold, who she thinks is still a bad Terminator, but yeah. her son, John slash Greg, is like, no, he's good now. Can you imagine the PTSD of... It's gotta be a lot. Severe. There's a lot. I mean, well, we'll talk about that but too, because I have some thoughts about that. Arnold says, come with me if you want to live, and that's the same and thing like, that Kyle Reese said to her. So she's like, I guess I gotta My trust him. My boyfriend said that. <laughs> Who I still I, love. I guess it's okay. So they all meet up, and then they get the hell out of there. Yeah. And they go and gather some weapons, and then Sarah goes after Miles Dyson, thinking that if she kills him, she can prevent the impending war. He's doing all the work to create what will eventually become Skynet. This is one of my favorite moments in the movie because I, I wasn't sure where this moment mm-hmm. was going to go. And it ends up being pretty cool. Right, because she can't bring herself to kill him because she's not a Terminator after all. No, she's, wait for it, a mother. A mother. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's in front of his family and so forth. Right. So instead, she, John, 
Arnold and Miles go to Cyberdyne and they destroy all of Miles Dyson's work on Skynet. Right. Miles ends up being like a hero. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I hate that he has to die and we'll talk about that as I well. Know. But uh, the cops show up and then Bad Terminator shows up and there's a big chase and they it's end long. up in this steel mill. And there's, like, the fun liquid nitrogen slash, like, bad Terminator gets frozen. Yeah. And Arnold's like, hasta la vista, baby. Bebe. <laughs> but the bad Terminator melts himself back together. And then there's some more fighting. And it's then long, it's long, lo- it's long, It's quite long, baby. Yes. Um, but then eventually they manage to kill the bad Terminator and melt him for good in the liquid steel and then arnold terminator is like hey wait a minute you have to kill me too because my cpu chip has to be destroyed and it's sad because he's daddy now he's daddy now and that's right greg can't catch a break and he's so upset uh-huh. he watches his daddy go into lava you're just like <laughs> oh my god what is poor greg yes um hey jamie yeah I don't know if you noticed this in the movie, but when they go to pick up Sarah Connor Mm -hmm. from the hospital, there's a sign at some point that says she's in Pescadero. That's a six hour drive. That's like, there's no need to think about how large California is, but they're traveling in state. But that's not to say that it isn't a very long voyage. And there's like, I think something that Sarah Connor really could have used Tell me what do you think it is? Well, I think this is a very graceful transition into talking about uh, Away suitcases. Away, Caitlin, creates yeah, uh-huh. thoughtful products built for the way modern travelers see the world. Not those future doofuses like <laughs> Sarah Connor. Uh-huh. People of now. They started with the perfect suitcase and now they offer a range of essentials, all of which would have made Sarah Connor's travels more seamless. And you think she'd know that seeing as she's from the near future. You would think. You'd think. Well, we have some away suitcases. We got some. We got some. We've <laughs> used them. Recently. Recently. We went to Denver for our live shows. Mm-hmm. And used then you... Them then. I just use mine to go cross country to Boston and it genuinely is like it's my new prop suitcase for the show I travel with because it's just like I genuinely really I really enjoy my away suitcase and it's cute. I've never had one that had like four wheels. I was the 360 like, wheels are good. Yeah. Before I got my away suitcases, I was just like dragging my old ones around the I wheels rocks, were all messed up. Cotton or whatever, gravel, whatever. Yeah, but what we're trying to say here is that all of Away's suitcases are thoughtfully designed to last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. With They've got durable exteriors. Durable shells. Yeah. They, they can withstand even the roughest and toughest of baggage handlers. The inside is cool. It has like a bunch of different pockets and a, a whole interior organization system. What I like is that there's like compartments so that your shoes aren't going to touch your stuff. Mm-hmm. And just like stuff I hadn't even thought about. And I just was like, oh, I guess my shoes will touch my stuff. And I I don't care but now i can care because you know and you can separate clean and dirty clothes it's really nice and there's a tsa approved combo lock that keeps your belongings safe caitlin mm-hmm. my combo is <gasps> zero 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 zero, zero wow. for extra security <laughs> But you could make a real one theoretically if you sure. know how those sorts of things work. You know what, Jamie? I what? do and I did. Oh, wow. So, But I, you're not going to disclose I'll it. I'll never tell. Well, I guess a uh, woman's heart is an ocean <laughs> of secrets. <laughs> 
other things to know, uh, Away products are designed to last a lifetime, as we said. So if any part of your suitcase ever breaks, Away's standout customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced. We also didn't even mention that there's a phone charger in the Away suitcase. Which right. There's like a little uh, battery pack. Portable battery pack. You can plug your phone into it. It's it's a lifesaver. Yeah. There's also a 100-day trial on everything that Away makes. So you can take your product out on the road. You can go to Pescadero from LA if you want to. You can In the go future. In the future, which is now our past. It's right. confusing. It's weird. You can, you can go any manner of places, test it out, travel with it, everything. And if you decide it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund during that 100-day period. No ifs, ands, or buts. And uh, they offer free shipping returns on any order within the contiguous U.S., Europe, Canada, and Australia. So I truly, and my mom the other day, I saw my mom when I was in Boston, Mm -hmm. and she looked at my suitcase, and she was like, what is that? And I was like, it's my new suitcase, and I didn't use a brand name. And she was like, I heard in your podcast, is that in a way? (laughs) Wow. And so my mom's a listener and a fan, and she might actually get one. And the (gasps) way she's going to do it is with our special offer code. For yes. $20 off on any suitcase or bag, you want to be like my mom, visit awaytravel.com slash TBC and use promo code TBC during checkout. Again, that's $20 off any suitcase or bag. Visit awaytravel.com slash TBC and use promo code TBC during checkout. All right, let's check in on Sarah Connor. Let's do it. All right. Well, I guess, I mean, there's there's a lot to talk about here. It's so... We're going to attempt to do a discussion that kind of spans both of the movies, but we'll probably be clicking in and out. Bear with us. Mm -hmm. Sarah, I mean, Sarah Connor obviously is the main character. Worth uh, discussing. Worth discussing. And she's, I mean, I I would say the best remembered character from the movie, even though Arnold is also, I don't know, maybe they're tied. Mm, No, definitely Arnold is far more remembered. Yeah. God damn it. (laughs) They're... The second one ends up being a lot more well, about I mean, him than I right want right up to there. Be. And then she also, she, got, she also got her own TV series, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, which I admittedly never watched. Well, but, Caitlin, you're canceled. Um, I mean, like, the fact that, like, Arnold is on the poster for both movies, like, that's I true. think shows, like, who's potentially the more valued character in this franchise. <sighs> but Sarah Connor... For our purposes, she's by far the most... <laughs> Right. Uh, but it, but I, I think it is kind of fascinating to watch how she is treated differently in both movies. I think it, it's a, it's like one of those cool things where you can see kind of, you know, like you can track the growth of a filmmaker in the space of seven years. You can track the growth of, uh, you would imagine, society a little mm-hmm. bit in seven years, where in the first Terminator, Sarah Connor... I think she's still more active than a lot of female protagonists of 1984, Mm -hmm. but she's not extremely active. She is cast as a mother in a love interest Mm -hmm. for the most part until the very, very, very end. Uh, She's not made out to look as particularly qualified, which I think is like both one of the coolest and most frustrating things (laughs) about her character, because it feels like the the first movie I feel like is all about withholding information. She doesn't have any of the information or skills she needs to be an active participant in the first movie. And then the second one is the total opposite. She has most of the information and all of the skills she needs to survive. So it's cool. It is cool. And I mean... 
as much as we get frustrated when a female protagonist like in an action franchise isn't equipped with like the skills and the information she would need to have to like be a total badass that also wouldn't right it makes sense at least in the first movie yeah I just I think that that's like one of those things that it comes down to like that was a narrative choice to give her literally no information or I just like that's one of those things where I wish like if she doesn't have the skills I mean that makes sense she is an LA waitress why would she have these combat skills but then at least give her some information give her something that doesn't mean that she's gonna have to go to like the whims and be constantly needing I don't know I just feel like in the first one she never really has an upper hand until the end and I feel like that's like a narrative issue or it was for Mm, me I see what you're saying and I might be like because I love these movies so much like I it might be difficult for me to like separate (laughs) my feelings and yeah but like I don't know like yes of course it, it wouldn't make any sense for her to have combat training and why would she have information about the future? But like then like Kyle Reese like gives her a lot of information. Yeah, but he that's, tells her stuff. But that's what I'm saying is like she there's nothing she can tell him, you know, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Like I feel like it wouldn't have like made the concept of the movie work less if she even at one point in the movie had information that he didn't that was able to move the plot forward like if she was like hey there's a blockbuster around the corner that we can hide in exactly it's 1984 and you don't know what blockbuster is (laughs) even like goofy (laughs) 1984 knowledge that could come into like i just i was frustrated because usually i feel like most movies will toss you a bone of like something right of like i mean obviously you know she sort of becomes the fish out of water in her own world uh-huh. but it you you know there's usually something and so i was kind okay. of like there i see what you're saying I, I misunderstood before but yeah that yeah that's a valid criticism for sure another thing with her in terminator one is that i mean well i'm i mean my my issue with the Sarah Connor thing is I agree that she is a feminist icon, especially in T2. I love so much about her, but it does like her whole, you know, she's she's in her 20s. She's, she's in, 19. She's 19. Fuck. In the first movie. So she's 19, but she's 28 because movies. Right. Uh, but she's 19. She's a waitress in L.A., which you would imagine she has some sort of creative aspiration movie has no interest in why she's in LA, Uh how she got there, what her dreams are, what her goals are. Two men show up and tell her, this is what your life is. You will give birth to this boy. And this is when, and and we only see her push back against it one time in that scene with Kyle where she's like, I can't even balance a checkbook. Like I don't have, I, I can't be this like, you know, military hero. I can't be this Terminator destroyer or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's the only time we see her stand up for herself about like, well, what about what I want? What about my choices? Which we haven't. I'm trying to be uh, an actor over here. You would imagine. I'm trying to audition for the, for aliens directed by James Cameron. It's coming out in two years. I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta (laughs) start taking classes. But the movie has, I mean, it's, and I, and I, and I know that this is a critical part of the movie working 
But, you know, it it is a young woman who two guys from the future show up and say, this is what your life is and you have to make this work. And she doesn't really have much. The movie doesn't give her much space to say, no, I I get to decide what I do with my life. Yeah. It's like, well, can I still moonlight as an actress in addition to that's (laughs) that's the most frustrating thing about this movie in particular. And then it carries over into T2. Yeah. But it becomes a little like it's so much because well, like Sarah Connor is targeted because she's important, but she's only important because she is the mother of a man who is actually important to the resistance. Exactly. Because like these movies can't envision a world where a woman is important because she's the powerful resistance leader. They can only see a world where a man would be in that leadership role and she's his mother. His mom. His mother. I mean, and it's cool. It's so, I mean, there is this, like, and, and I know that we have to consider the time that this came out in where it was, I mean, for a long time, Sarah Connor was, like, about as good as you could get for a female protagonist mm-hmm. in an action franchise. And uh, for all the Jimmy Cammy issues we'll bring up <laughs> later, like, he he was one of the only directors that would prioritize that in for his sure. work. So for all of its flaws, it definitely was progressive for its time. But you do see just kind of with some time and reflection that she is still relegated in both movies to an extent to her relationships to men. Mm-hmm. And I th- and that's another thing that I feel like is kind of fully taken from uh, Kill Bill and the Bride is that you know you can see this woman who is kicking ass she's very capable she's excellent at what she does but it's the connection to motherhood that ends up driving the story right. women aren't allowed to have motivations that aren't connected still somehow to domesticity uh-huh. and again that's like obviously not to knock the concept of motherhood but it is like the way we most frequently see women defined by in movies and even in these like very famous action movies it's still that somehow right a woman can only be a participant in narratives like that if she's also framed as you know being a mother oftentimes and yes of course like to to clarify we love motherhood we We love moms it's just the societal expectation that women must be mothers and you've got no other choice and that's what your role is as a woman in society that's what we take issue with well and also i think just like my my frustration is just like i think it's wonderful that there's movies about motherhood and like frank discussions of motherhood women aren't i mean there there's one woman one for four in both of these movies is there a woman actually writing about it Mm -hmm. so women are not allowed to have really generally a perspective on motherhood it is an invented perspective forced upon them by a male writer and a director and it's also just like that is the only narrative you can have like there's not many alternatives and so I don't know. And, and if it sounds like I'm being too harsh, it's because I don't have any um, sentimental connection to these mm-hmm. movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. But especially in the first one, the Christ narrative was so heavy handed. And then at the end, they're like, Jesus is about to be born. And I'm like, I don't I can't give a fuck. <laughs> Jesus's name is Greg and he's about to be born. <laughs> You know, well, also yeah. to just touch on something that you just mentioned, um, the the writers of these two films both were written by James Cameron, and then on the first Terminator movie, Gail Ann Hurd has a co-writing credit, and then on the second movie, um, William Wisher has a co-writing credit. Uh, however, 
for the first movie that would appear to have been co-written by a woman. Yeah. Uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, Gail Ann Hurd suggested some edits to the script after she came on board as a producer yeah. of the film. And then took a screenwriting credit for the film, but James Cameron has stated that she did no actual writing at all. I read so, that as well, which is just like, I mean, I'm glad she got paid. Yeah. Love when women get paid, but also like, uh, let them do the fucking job. Right. Yeah. Gail and her, I mean, it's she produced both of these movies. She's mm-hmm. produced a number of famous movies yeah. um, in a time where not a lot of women were producing movies, much less movies this huge. Right. So that is great. It is. I mean, if you, if you look at the script for Terminator 1, it's very clear that it's a James Cameron script because it is disgusting. It's horny it is as hell. So are, you're just like, oh, this. there's no way this isn't written by a man who's never made a woman come in his life. <laughs> like, that's the only energy you get from it. So, yeah, I, I saw that as well. You're like, oh, that totally tracks based on <laughs> the very bizarre excerpt <laughs> that I've read. I mean, it. I am happy at very least. And again, it's like uh, 80s, early 90s. Like you're like, I'm glad that a woman was involved and like had influence over the story or at least some influence over the story and what happened. I mean, it's frustrating, though, because even the Terminator movie that just came out, five credited writers, all men. Yep. Which is just like a continuation of this fucking hideous thing that i feel like we're seeing as like as it becomes more of a priority and an audience demand for there to be more inclusion in movies where the front facing stuff the on-camera stuff is far more inclusive and then behind the camera it's exactly the same which mm-hmm. pisses me the fuck right off. because in terminator dark fate and this is not a spoiler because if you've seen the any of the trailers you know this but the three main characters of that film are three women and you're not gonna believe fans of the terminator franchise we're mad about it <laughs> oh shit another kind of conflicting thing i have about this first movie is so a man is sent back as sarah connor's protector and savior essentially right. um, so the plot of this movie forces a woman to be in a situation where she's constantly needing to be protected by a man because he does have the upper hand in terms of having the combat skills and all the information necessary to keep her alive. She has nothing. But all at the same time though, she's like she isn't framed as being helpless. She like doesn't she does stuff, you know, like especially toward the end. It does take a while. It takes like the whole movie. But also though. if I was in that situation, like I have no combat training. If someone was like sent back to kill me, I'd be like, Yeah, I don't know how to survive either. Right. Well again, I think it's a story flaw. Yeah. Because that's like it didn't have to go that way. Right. She could have had something. She I agree that she if she even just had like knowledge of contemporary LA and she, she could, could be like, we let's go this way, or like we can around. hide here. Yeah, like that would have been that would have been nice. Right. The but, end. I like I like all of her scenes at the end, like when she starts to when she's allowed to drive. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So in the third act, essentially, is when she starts be- to become a bit more active. Uh, where she, yeah, like you said, she is driving the various cars that they've stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, she does veer the Terminator off the road when he's chasing them on the motorcycle. She saves Kyle. And I mean, he has to save her a number of times. But like, 
their truck rolls so she like pulls him out of the truck and saves him mm-hmm. uh, and then after the terminator gets back up out of the fire she's the one who like she breaks the him. glass she unlocks the door to get into the factory and then yes she's the one who like lands the final blow of like crushing and, and destroying the terminator which is cool i you know because we were like kind of set up by that scene to make it seem like kyle's gonna be the one that does it but he and, dies. But then he was too weak. <laughs> and then she gets, it was really exciting when she, when she gets like the death blow. Cause so, I mean, female protagonists very infrequently get that in their own movies. True. So true. I thought that was great. Yeah. The, I mean, it. the last act you start to see like the, and it was, I mean, it was kind of like heartwarming, even though you're like the love story is so bizarre, but it was kind of sweet, I thought, to see Kyle be kind of like starstruck by her. And like, I don't know, just kind of that was something that I'm like, oh, if I'd seen that movie when I was younger, it would have like hit for me where yeah. she feels like, oh, I'm just a waitress. There's there's not much to me. And then he's like, no, do you know how cool you're going to be? You're like the coolest person in the world. She's like, what? And, you know, like that. I thought that was see, like think- kind of sweet. But it's like, did she really need that validation from uh-huh. a future man? I don't know. I think she's already cool even before. She, she- for sure is. She drives a moped. She has a pet iguana. Feminist icon. <laughs> Pugsley. Iguana. Pugsley the iguana. You know, she she's an independent woman. We know what her job is. She has a roommate, Ginger, who she she seems like get along with really well. I feel, then, but we don't know that much. About we don't know her. much. Uh, the her one thing, end goal, her end game isn't being a diner waitress. Pro- probably not. It isn't. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I did like about what we know about her character early on is her date bails on her on a Friday night but she decides to like go out to dinner and a movie by herself I thought that was so cool because like in a lot of movies you would see that happen and then you would see uh, the woman like cry over a tub of ice cream at home right and like not that t- i mean i do that sometimes I was like it definitely happens but it in terms of <laughs> setting a precedent right uh it's I it, that that's awesome. become yeah like the whole like oh a boy didn't want to go with me i'm just gonna eat ice cream that's become like such a trope so i yeah i really liked that uh you know she's just like fuck it i'm gonna go to a dinner and a movie but like what does she want to do with her life uh, we don't know yeah james Cameron doesn't care <laughs> We gotta take a quick break, but we sure do. Uh, we'll be back. Hilarious. Did you get what I did there, Jamie? No, unpack it okay. during the break. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll be back. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. 
To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Another thing, well, even okay, so even though we don't know really anything about her aspirations uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, just that much in general, and she doesn't get a chance to be super active until around the third act of the movie, I would argue that she's still fairly... <laughs> Again, she's reaching. I'm coming she's down. Reaching. I'm going to come to the defense of this movie probably too much. But I would argue that she's fairly proactive throughout the movie in the sense that, like, when she thinks she's being stalked by Kyle Reese, like she goes she says into a, yeah, she says something. She goes into a public place because she thinks that'll be safe. She calls the police. Like, I think in a lot of movies where a woman is being chased by a killer, and maybe this is more common in like horror slasher movies, but also I would argue that Terminator 1984 is not unlike a slasher horror film. But in a lot of cases, the women in those movies make stupid choices and that might sound victim blamey but they're stupid choices because the male writers who write those characters think that women are stupid and so they write them that way and i think that that point um i totally see what you're saying and and that stands just strictly based on how her roommate is treated her roommate and her roommate's boyfriend when they're murdered in cold blood right after having sex that is like a horror movie right yes yeah (laughs) for sure but sarah is like using the best judgment she can whereas in like other movies of this era again especially like you know slasher movies the female characters were using terrible judgment and even like i watched a movie around halloween time that came out in 2017 what was it a terrible horror movie on netflix about a killer clown called terrifier (laughs) but i was like this looks horrible let me watch this and in that movie again this movie came out two years ago but all the female characters just like kept making one stupid choice after another like they would go back into the creepy warehouse for no reason at all after a bunch of very scary stuff had just happened to them I think we're used to seeing like female characters using poor judgment or just like not being very proactive. But in this movie, like Sarah is making smart choices and she's being proactive. And even though she does like make a mistake because she thinks she's talking to her mom and tells her the number of the motel that she's staying at. But it was really the Terminator who had been impersonating her mother. I mean, who would have guessed? She had no way of knowing that. She didn't know. Yeah. So even like a mistake that she makes, she didn't do it because she's like written as a an airheaded, underwritten female character. I still think she's an underwritten female character in the first movie. But you see, she has been yeah. imbued with 1984 street smarts. And that's, yeah, that's good. And that's also, I mean, like you said before, this is a movie coming out in a decade where action movies had almost no interest in featuring women. Like, the action movies of this time were things like Die Hard, First Blood, Robocop, Indiana Jones, Lethal right. Weapon, Top Gun, like all these like hyper hyper masculine dripping with toxic masculinity films 
uh, that didn't have any vested interest in female characters. Which might be a good point. I mean, and it's weird because you get a taste of that with the Terminator, but the Terminator is kind of like this, I don't know, it's kind of like a, a smartly written character where the Terminator, I mean, and we know now that like robots are also... <laughs> prejudiced because they're made by people Uh but i feel like the terminator is created to be someone who doesn't discriminate just has a mission and accomplishes it so there's not even even though he is like technically the lead macho blah 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 of Mm -hmm. the movie you don't see that like inherent sexism in him because he's a machine he's a machine he's so you're like oh that's kind of cool like you you don't get the casual sexism that you would in a diehard kind of movie because he's a computer (laughs) cool Uh, and i do i mean this is maybe a good point to bring up james cameron's pretty consistent commitment to not objectifying linda hamilton in both of these movies Mm -hmm. which is again it sounds like a very like least you can do creative choice but not a lot of movies were making that creative choice especially in like blockbuster movies where that's so inherent even now true yeah um i mean 80s action movies if there was a woman in the story she was very much overly sexualized like gratuitous nudity all that kind of stuff and if she was participating in the action it was in a very skimpy outfit the whole bit yeah so that is cool and you i think especially in the first one you see more made of arnold schwarzenegger's body than of linda hamilton's you do have that brief sex scene that we are going to do a reading from uh, <laughs> i mean she should we get to that now because i would I like to talk really about should. this romantic subplot okay well let's i guess start by like <laughs> reading okay so do you who do you want to be sarah or reese and then i'll read action lines okay i'll be reese okay ready yes action and so you feel nothing it's better that way oh kyle reese takes a long slow breath before he answers and when he does his voice has a new quality an unfamiliar tenderness john connor gave me a picture of you once i never knew why it was very old torn faded you were young like you are now you weren't smiling just a little sad i always wondered what you were thinking at that second oh he's so cringy he closes his eyes reaches towards her his fingertips trace the contour of her nose chin cheeks i memorized every line every curve he opens his eyes looking right at hers sarah i came across time for you i love you I always have. Sarah's quietly overwhelmed. Reese looks away. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said. Kyle. And now, (laughs) the money shot. Mm. She leans forward and kisses him. His face is frozen. A mask. She continues tenderly. He begins to respond. The dam breaks. And he (laughs) he holds her in a tight, trembling embrace, clinging to her like life itself. James Cameron is literally a virgin. (laughs) Kyle picks her up and carries her to the bed. She kisses his neck and chest, tracing his scars with her lips. He unbuttons her blouse very slowly. Sarah got his powerful hands over her a sequence of cuts details impressions <laughs> sarah a very close angle as she grimaces in divine agony agony Ooh. reese his face wrapped his hand clutching the pillow as if to kill it it is explosive torrential a confluence of fate and will 
disgusting. James Cameron should Absolutely. be writing like competitive erotic fanfic. <laughs> like, I, I was like, sir, this is a Wendy's. Like, please <laughs> take this out. And it's funny because I think it really did produce one of the most sexless love scenes I've ever seen. I hate this sex scene in the movie. Although, okay, here's what I will say about this. It's written a little differently in the script. What ends up on screen is Sarah being the one who initiates romantic contact with Reese. Like, she's the one who comes on to him because she's like, hey, what are the women like in your time? And he's like, I don't know. I don't talk to women. I've only ever loved you. And then he's like, oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. And then he goes over and starts fiddling with his bombs because he, like, doesn't know how to be around a woman. You know how boys are. And then she kisses him and then they have sex. So, and then, of course, she gets pregnant. But... I mean, <laughs> you know yeah, she's is. the one who's like initiating this sexual encounter, which I always like to see. It is nice. Yeah. And then, and again, it's like another thing that this movie does that might not seem. Cr- I mean, even that now, I feel like there's still not a lot of women in movies who initiate sex scenes. Except for um, Rose and Titanic. James another. Cameron needs a woman to initiate it. Unfortunately, one of the learning. other nastiest <laughs> sex scenes ever written. Um, what I don't like, though, about this romantic subplot is, uh, one... It exists. It exists at all. <laughs> it was a studio note. Of um, course it was. Uh, I read that strengthening the love interest between Sarah and Reese uh, was a studio note. James Cameron agreed to it because apparently it hadn't been written quite that way. Like, their relationship wasn't as strong and romantic in the original script. Right. So he's like, yeah, sounds great. What I really hate about it is that he shows up as this protector man. Uh, he rescues her multiple rescues times. Her and then also like treats her really badly. The way he treats her physically at the beginning made me very uncomfortable. Like, he's repeatedly like grabbing, grabbing. And I know it's like, it's an emergency, but he keeps grabbing her arm and you're like, dude, he's saying, he's like, do exactly as I say. Right. Don't move unless I say. Don't make a sound unless I say. Do you understand? So he, yeah, just a lot of like extremely aggressive, pretty violent uh, yeah. actions towards her. And then they have sex a while later. So not into it. It's not great. I get how it fits into the story and it feeds into the whole franchise and you're like, oh, now it's kind of this story element that's inseparable from the entire franchise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hooking up with a future man sounds hot, sounds great. (laughs) Uh, I just like, I I don't know. I have more, I I don't like that it is such an obvious studio note relationship Mm -hmm. um, that carries into Terminator 2 in a way that is like, doesn't feel necessary where she's like, I still love him. Right. And, which we'll get into because the the whatever my thing is listen sarah connor didn't get to decide what to do with her life she didn't even get to name her own fucking kid <laughs> it's like ugh. so i just she wanted to name him greg she wanted to name him greg which yeah. makes logical sense <laughs> The relationship is annoying, and the sex scene is weird. Every 80s sex, I'm just like, who is... We were saying this when we were watching, like, you can just feel that there is an entire crew in the room. It doesn't feel <laughs> right. like you're just like, oh, the actors seem so like... I'm like, they must be so uncomfortable. Otherwise, why would this scene appear this way? I think, yeah, I mean... What really bothers me about it is not, I mean, the sex that they have, fine. Like, I think 
they're trauma bonded together that makes people horny and i think you know they have have sex but and when it bleeds over into the second movie and she's like i still love him i think about him all the time and da 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 and like she has dreams about him like I don't, they knew each other for a day? Like, well, do you really, are you in love with him? <laughs> well, if we're formally crossing over into Terminator 2 territory, yeah. I mean, obviously Sarah has a, like infinity more agency in Terminator 2 than she does in the majority of the first one. Right. And, and I feel like T2 is like the feminist icon version that people really remember and mm-hmm. cosplay as and all this stuff. I mean, you can literally see how like Laurie Strode is dressed like Sarah Connor from T2 in the Halloween movie that came mm. out last year. Mm-hmm. Like it is a very enduring version of this character. Something I wanted to touch on, this does sort of just demarcate, I guess, like the difference of how he approaches her character in the first and second movies. Oh, yes. Uh, which by the way he first describes her. So in the first movie, this is how he describes Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor is 19, small and delicate featured, pretty in a flawed, accessible way. She doesn't stop the party when she walks in, but you'd like to get to know her. Her vulnerable quality masks a strength she doesn't even know exists. So that's Hmm. pretty fucking patronizing. (laughs) Uh, And then in T2, this is how he describes her. He's truly a horrible writer uh sarah connor is not the same woman we remember from the last time her eyes peer out through a wild tangle of hair like those of a cornered animal defiant and intense but skittering around looking for escape at the same time fight or flight down one cheek is a long scar from just below the eye to the upper lip her voice is low and chilling monotone so he kind of i mean and you can see this you can see like shades of the Sarah from Terminator 1, mm-hmm. but it's for the most part like a really different, like you can see where she's coming from, but she's very different in yeah, T2. And like for sure. way more fun. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, but there are still like I, some little things that just like bug me is that James Cameron has this thing where he... For his time, peak Cameron, although, you know, Avatar a billion, maybe there's a second coming. But for now, if we're considering 80s, 90s peak Cameron, mm-hmm. right, had more progressive female characters than most. But he does kind of, he's still a man mm-hmm. and he still kind of uses the same, I feel like, quote unquote, cheat codes mm-hmm. to give his female characters dimension in multiple movies and Terminator 2 and Aliens I feel like he makes a very similar choice Mm -hmm. with Ripley as he does with Sarah Connor where it's she you know these are both very capable and motivated action heroes but they're motivated by mommy and he has difficulty it would appear I mean he doesn't in Titanic but (laughs) he has difficulty seeing past motherhood in mm-hmm. this period of movies as a conceivable motivation he can't like think of another conceivable motivation for a woman right which is annoying and in this one too in, in t2 there's a few different moments where sarah connor you know there's like that speech 
where she says, um, oh, you know what I'm trying to bring up, where she's basically, oh, this thing, this machine was the only thing that measured up. And she's talking about how she, you know, she's been subtly scouting for a father Father for for Greg. For Greg. (laughs) And, you know, that just sort of doubles down on the, like, nuclear family trope and, like, everyone needs a mother and a father, which we know is not true. And it's not like it's a bad thing for her to want more support in parenting, but mm-hmm. it's just such a straightforward kind of underthought, I feel like, conclusion of like, well, of course, she has to find a father for her son. Yeah, I also, <laughs> this is maybe a reach, but also like that bothered me because, yeah, she says something like, of all the would-be fathers, like this machine is the only thing that could measure up because it would never leave him or get drunk and hit him or shout at him or say he was too busy for him. But like the other part of this Terminator character is that like he doesn't understand human emotion and like it's just like completely void of like emotional vulnerability. And as someone who grew up with a father who is incapable of emotional intimacy or vulnerability. Wouldn't recommend. And uh, yes, because I've estranged myself from my dad for that reason. So I feel like Sarah Connor being like, yeah, uh, daddy just needs to be around. And it's like, well, that's not good enough. So I feel like it's like letting fathers off the hook as long as they're just around. And it's like no there's more to it than that it's yeah it's weird it's kind of complicated too because it's not like sarah connor is i mean there's so so something that i think is very interesting i guess this sort of crosses over t2 becomes more of this goofy father-son relationship than <laughs> i was expecting it to right that's one thing i feel like that takes up way more real real estate in the movie than it needs to and it again implies that every kid needs a mother and a father and like you know good terminator becomes daddy Mm -hmm. and you're like i get like sure i guess you know and and i do like that john greg call him what you will um (laughs) he has an arc of becoming more emotionally intelligent more sensitive more empathetic i feel like through the movie where you start out and he you know he's in foster care his mother's in a psychiatric ward and he you know says that you know he doesn't believe what she's saying Mm -hmm. and she you know he doesn't trust what she says and he's like better off without her all this stuff right you know which we don't get a lot of good examples of portrayals of younger boys especially like preteen boys Mm -hmm. it's like a you know tentative time for anyone so to see uh, you know his arc be learning to um, believe trust women. and believe women yeah. is really cool and so that's great I, I the father-son stuff it's just like oh okay <laughs> you know I guess it's kind of feels like a different movie in some ways but I, well I do also like that part of his arc is him teaching his new yeah. daddy he's like teaching him like emotional intelligence almost. and like empathy a little yeah, bit he's like you can't kill people like also like we have feelings people hurt people cry we're afraid like he tell he basically tells as you pointed out Jamie that he tells the terminator to smile more. He does. That's <laughs> I think that that's a bonus scene but it uh, yeah, I think that might be from the director's cut but <laughs> he does there's a scene where he's like you should smile and then he's like how do I smile? I was like, "Oh, this is uh <laughs> this like this is not trying to do this, but it's kind of funny that it did." Right. It is cool. Yeah, where and like the younger boy is encouraging the older man to be emotionally intelligent and mm-hmm. consider other people and their motivations and their lives and you know literally their lives keeping them alive right that's lovely but going back to his motivation and believing his mom that mm-hmm. was like what i thought was one of the more compelling elements of sarah connor's 
character in the second one Mm -hmm. is we start from this point of like it feels like weirdly like pretty modern of she is stuck in this psychiatric ward because people don't believe what she's saying she doesn't have enough evidence of what she's saying for people to believe it and similar to how they treated Kyle in the first movie Mm -hmm. law enforcement thinks it's easier to just kind of lock her up and and tell her that she is you know her mind isn't right right and she sticks to her truth until what I think is kind of like a devastating sad scene where we see there's that like really great Linda Hamilton moment where we see a clip of her mm-hmm. from like when she first got there yeah. um, screaming like it happened, it happened, which you're just like, oh, fuck. And then we flash forward to her however long later mm-hmm. saying to a medical professional, I mean, the same one from the first movie. Oh, yeah, Dr. Silberman. Saying, even though we know she doesn't think this, taking it back and being like, I was wrong. The thing I know is the truth is actually not the truth. Now can I see my son? That I thought was like one of the most emotionally compelling parts of both movies is like Uh she has to take back her truth in order to survive. And like I just I thought that was like it felt very contemporary and Mm. you sort of see her dealing with even though it's not explicitly stated, but it's, uh, you know, like a post-traumatic stress narrative with the dreams that she's having and when she's first confronted with Arnold Schwarzenegger's face again and just like, I don't know. It's like you see her sometimes act a little bit harshly or a little bit abruptly, but it is all grounded in this like, well, she's been through so fucking much. So much. She's been so disbelieved even by her own son and just like kind of watching her go on that journey of, first of all, her son learning and accepting what was the truth the whole time and just her like navigating the like PTSD of what happens to her in the first movie and in, in the events in between, I thought was like really compelling. I mean, and good. The, yeah, for sure. And then the component of like she doesn't have the evidence to yeah uh, support her truth because a fucking corporation stole it Bing. and is now being used as research to develop the technology that will later kill everybody. Um, Yeah, yeah, I thought that that scene was super effective where she's like, it makes it seem like she's walking back what she actually believes, but she's only doing that because she's so smart. If she says, oh, no, I'm feeling better now. I don't believe this anymore. I made all that stuff up. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence because there is no evidence. Like there would be evidence if, you know, I had crushed that Terminator. So she's walking it back, but only because she's trying to trick the psychologist into getting yeah putting her in minimum security i thought it was super effective and i totally agree yeah cool oh i thought it was good one thing that this is i mean I, i guess this might be another example of it being well done even though it's like frustrating the reality of the situation is you know even though she does her son ends up believing her and dyson ends up believing her it's only because she has the evidence all of a sudden right it's never that they're like you know what i should have taken seriously what you were saying there was no reason not to i believe you it's only when she has the flesh and robot evidence of a terminator and she can literally peel someone's arm down Mm -hmm. like you know I, i feel like greg only truly believes her once he's met a Terminator himself and Dyson only truly believes her when Arnold Schwarzenegger removes his hand 
and yes. so it's which i think is unfortunately kind of a r- realistic thing in terms of like the circumstances under which people believe women is no one really believes her until she does have the hard evidence yes just like in the context of believing women which does seem to be like something that was ahead of its time in like demanding Mm -hmm. that it does feel unfortunately kind of on point that the two people who end up believing her and I guess you would include um, Dyson's family in this as well even though they don't have uh, very large roles they don't believe it until until they see it yeah for sure so Uh, another very cathartic moment for me in the movie is when dr silberman sees the bad terminator coming through the gate in a way that only a like liquid metal robot would be able to do and so he sees it and in you know he's watching this whole scene unfold where you know this other terminator is there and then his like mouth drops a gape because mm-hmm. he's like oh fuck she was telling she the was truth right. the whole time and right. it's like yes fucking believe women and there's like a similar theme explored in aliens if yes, I remember correctly. at the beginning of that movie is a very similar like i swear to fucking god this is happening and then no one believes her until there's for sure the evidence so another mr jim theme he, he that is, i think is yeah. effectively explored here i agree to just go back to that hospital scene the first time i saw that scene where she is escaping from the hospital i just remember feeling so empowered and like energized by it like i was like you know this teen girl i was like fuck yes go sarah because it's so cool around the same time in the movie john is telling arnold he's like we gotta go get my mom like we gotta go rescue her I order you to do this, like, even though it's dangerous and maybe the other Terminator will be there, like, we have to go save her. So, like, it's set up in a way that's, like, maybe they're going to have to, like, literally go in and break her out. But Mm -hmm. she's already basically broken herself out which i love right the fact that she doesn't have to be rescued um because, you do get the feeling that if they hadn't showed up she would get out anyways 100 percent. yes yeah. she was like well on her way out and just kind of i just want to do like a little beat by beat breakdown of this because i just love it so much yeah. where she is putting on this facade of pretending to be just so drugged up that she's basically not cognizant mm-hmm. and she very subtly steals a little paper clip and hides it in her mouth and then after she's been like locked up in her restraints in her room she like spits out the paper clip uses it to unlock the restraints and then the door mm-hmm. then she has like broken off the handle of a broom and she uses that to beat the shit out of the guy who has been horrible to her who has beaten her mm-hmm. and licked her face Ugh, and so like electrocuted her so she breaks his face and then drags him and locks him in a closet takes his nightstick takes the psychologist hostage you know with the whole like drano like liquid drain cleaner thing fucking brutal yes i loved it and then just like that whole sequence where she's like calling the shots and doing whatever it takes to get out of there yeah i was just like oh man like this is so fucking cool yeah I, i think i mean that whole scene is so exciting and cool and also like completely like there is no mary sue element to it because you know that she's been planning this for so long and she's been like bulking up in right. her solitary confinement like she has developed every single skill she needs to pull off this fucking incredible sequence it's so cool mm-hmm. right because it's like 
it's a bunch of different things. It's us seeing a woman be like tough and smart and tactical and just like straight up kick ass in a way that is not sexualized because no. in a lot of like action franchises that do feature women who are like kicking ass the, like vagina it's suplex the, it's the it's the pussy slam that we yeah. see over, over and over again but it's it's we don't see anything like that with sarah connor it's us seeing her escape from this wrongful imprisonment because she hasn't been believed and she's basically saying like just a giant fuck you to all the people who have not believed her for all these years. Which is crazy cathartic. It's so cool. It's so cool. And it's just, it was such an empowering, awesome scene to, and I love just, yeah, every time I see this movie, I'm always just like, yes, go <laughs> And we don't see her fall into the women are only allowed to use household items as weapons here Sarah, Sarah I mean she she uses what's around in the hospital but I feel like that makes perfect sense right and she, she does stole, use a broom but she, then she takes a nightstick she uses a and nightstick. then she uses guns Poison the and, rest of the movie right right and so like that I mean it truly is just like she's being treated like an action hero mm-hmm. is treated which is great I so just I guess to kind of close on the mommy stuff because I feel like we've been alluding to it mm-hmm. quite a bit and it takes a larger role in the second movie. Again, it's kind of necessary to the narrative because the kid exists now. Yes. <laughs> um, but there is that moment that happens right after she, it seems like she's going to kill Dyson. And then she's like, JK, I'm mommy. I can't kill you. Slash a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. She's human. They're like sitting in Dyson's kitchen with his whole, with it, with his wife <laughs> uh, and, and him and good Terminator and John. She's kind of railing on Dyson for trying to build another Terminator. She says, how are you supposed to know? Fucking men like you built the hydrogen bomb. Men like you thought it up. You think you're so creative. You don't know what it's like to really create something, to create a life, to feel it growing inside you. All you know how to do is death and destruction. And then Greg cuts her off and is like, mom, (laughs) yucky. (laughs) Um, which I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a lot of different reads of that line. Sure. There's a read of it. I think that is like very empowering and really hitting the nail of the, like what James Cameron is trying to do with her character right on the head Mm -hmm. of like women with a narrow definition of what a woman is, but like women can be badass and like they give life that's so cool like Mm -hmm. there's there's a read of it that's very empowering and i think that there's a read of it that's like uh, a little reductive Mm -hmm. uh, with with time and you know just progress i don't think it was intended to be reductive at all right but you know it's like that's the only way she can define a woman's power is through mommy stuff yes and so you know there are moments in and for its time again it's like that you do not get a better female action hero than sarah connor but there are times where i feel like it leans a little too heavy on the crutch of like and her motivation is still woman stuff you know right definitely i definitely agree with that but on the other hand i can also see women who are mothers also feeling very empowered by Sarah Connor of course. just by the mere fact of like she's a mom and she's also a complete badass because mother characters in movies are often depicted as like being 
just like naggy, shrewy types of characters or just like, you know, just a typical kind of mom. So to see which is literally how Dyson's wife is portrayed. True. So to see like a mother character who is also extremely tough, I think, is like representation that we don't get to see that often. Again, I think it goes back to that thing we were talking about before where it's like we have nothing against mothers and motherhood but for that to be the only option yes. of a motivation is where i find it to be possibly reductive yes is like there's no even in kill bill a movie that is allegedly about revenge it's not really just about revenge it's also about motherhood yep so it just i mean i think that there are more options now and that this movie was important in pushing stuff forward but there are yeah i i, I do still feel like that read of it like there is a ver- i like i was rolling my eyes just a little bit <laughs> <laughs> for sure That all being said, in terms of, like, Sarah's badassery and, like, all the cool things we get to see her do, and to me, the very drastic, stark change between her character in the first movie and the second movie is not only, like, cool to see this more empowered and badass version of this character, but it also, like tracks very well for what the story requires of it so like i so it makes sense for the story which as a screenwriter Mm -hmm. um i don't like to mention it but like that i very much appreciated um however there was something that i like couldn't help but notice if we're kind of comparing some of the opening sequences of terminator one and terminator two where in terminator one the terminator's in hot pursuit and sarah needs kyle reese to save her and and get her away from the terminator and and all this stuff but in t2 john aka greg Mm -hmm. who is a child (laughs) uh, but a male child is able to get away on his own for a little while like on his motorbike so i'm like okay well she also had a moped she did have a moped but at the same time john has been raised by his mother his mom (laughs) but in the context of like she was always telling him like you're gonna be a military leader like you need to learn combat and weapons and engines and like all this stuff so he was more equipped than sarah was to like like he knew about terminators like and he probably was like oh this thing that's coming to kill me that's probably a terminator i have to get away yeah but it's still just the optics of like this child is able to like escape this terminator but a a grown woman needs all this help totally i don't know they both have mopeds it's like (laughs) why is one more capable than the other should we talk about dyson and his wife yes as we already sort of touched on a little bit i'm a fan of his arc in the second movie except for the very end i don't think he needed to die right uh but i i like there was more character written for him than I assumed there would be, honestly, because mm-hmm. he's sort of set up as someone who Sarah Connor would kill or that good Terminator would kill. Mm-hmm. But because of the progress that those characters are already making, they don't kill him. And then we get to see progress on his part of being like, I see what I've done. Mm-hmm. I see the error of and like the tunnel mindedness of what I was doing. How can I help? How can I reverse it? And so, you know, 75% of his arc I liked. Yeah, that's always lovely. Um, I do. I mean, it's worth mentioning he has uh, his wife. Um, <laughs> her name, she is named as Teresa. Yeah. 
That's all we know. That's all we know. That's all we know. I she's mean, she's left at home. She's a pretty much a tertiary character. So I guess, I mean, she she didn't have to be, but that's how the movie does frame her. Yes. I think it's also worth noting that he's one of the very few people of color in the movie. The franchise. The franchise. At, to this point, yeah. But the fact that he is like a tech genius, like a person of color in STEM, mm-hmm. uh, was representation we were not getting very much of especially in this era agree yeah um so that was pretty cool but yes i don't like still the only die the character we know the best in this movie that is killed off besides like the villain Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i feel like that character could have like been brought back in sequels and like used his like tech genius brain to like help and stuff well there yeah there's like a, I, there's no reason in my head why he shouldn't have joined their team it seemed like that was what he was doing mm-hmm. and then he was killed 20 minutes later yeah um which again just like feeds into whether it was written intentionally that way or not just feeds into some of the horror movie tropes you see pop up in these movies which is that the, the person of color always dies mm-hmm. and is always the first to die right um even though it's for dyson it's pretty significantly into the movie but he's the he's the character we know best who dies and that sucks yes so i wish i mean i would yeah i wish we just, had gotten just, dyson back justice for dyson god damn it I got I got a little bit of context corner. Ooh, let's hear it for this whole for the for these two movies. Mm-hmm. We'll start with Linda Hamilton because she, the most recent Terminator movie is the first one she's returned for since Terminator Two, mm-hmm. and she had some thoughts on how Sarah was portrayed in the first one as opposed to the second one. I guess the first one she went into it. I mean, no one thought it was going to be a huge hit, Mm -hmm. the first one. And so she went into it just like it was a job. She described Sarah in the first movie as, quote, so wholesome I could puke, unquote. (laughs) And that she didn't feel particularly empowered by the character until, quote, that transition from damsel in distress to, all right, she's got to pull everything she's got together to get Kyle up for the on your feet soldier movie. Oh, yes. And so she said she was generally unimpressed with the first Terminator until she saw it uh-huh. and then was like, oh, there's something there's something to this. And she also saw some metaphorical importance to the sex scene in the first movie where she's on top, which she felt was like a metaphor for uh-huh. Um, where that character is headed. So I thought that was that was cool. Hmm. Mm-hmm. She also, in regards to T2, there was, I think, kind of an interesting exchange that, you know, everyone can feel any number of ways about, but it's hair related. Uh-huh. Um, so this is from an interview with The Hollywood Reporter from like a couple of weeks ago. So it goes like this. Cameron originally proposed that Hamilton chop off her golden brown locks after Sarah's escape from an asylum. She argued successfully, meaning Linda Hamilton, Mm -hmm. uh, for a ponytail instead because, as she puts it, quote, you don't have to look like a guy to be strong, unquote. For some reason, I won that argument, she recalls. It wasn't even a vanity thing. And then later on, when she became this icon of strength and, you know, the legend of Sarah Connor, I realized that it's only because I didn't cut my hair that she became what she did in the minds and hearts of the audience, that this was a picture of feminine strength. I would love to say, oh, I was so ahead of my time, but it really was just an instinct that it wasn't right. And then she goes on to roast Demi Moore's haircut in G.I. Jane. (laughs) So, I mean, we, I mean, we know that the baldest woman is in charge. Right. This is a rule that has held for three <laughs> years now. But uh, it, I, I thought it was interesting that she wanted to make that choice because I think in, in the case of some 
action movies written by men that is a like a writing shorthand that is like to indicate like I mean and also it's like practical to <laughs> get hair out of the way but um I thought it was interesting that she like made a stand on her character especially against James Cameron which gets us into oh also Linda Hamilton has done uh more activism for the bipolar community than most people have oh that's She's great great oh I mean, just to touch on that a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think there was for a while and even almost, you know, even as recently as like Mad Max Fury Road. But sure. like the shorthand for like a really strong, badass female character is like chop all her hair off or shave her head kind of thing. Right. And um, as someone who recently <laughs> chopped off all my hair. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't stop killing I can't s- people. I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I see what she's saying. I think that's a, somewhat of a like... I don't know. Like, yes, I think it is important to see like maybe more traditionally feminine, like strong female protagonists in addition to seeing like, like, I I don't think like a woman who maybe presents as more masculine, it's become a bit tropey, but I also don't think there's anything wrong with that either. So like, yeah, I don't know. Of course not. I I think that I think or I mean, I who who knows? I feel like what she is, I mean, because partially the baldest woman in charge rule comes from the trope of writers using it yeah, a lot that right. way <laughs> exactly um but it, but there's also it's rooted in some military reality like there's a lot uh-huh. of like it's based in some truth and some like silly like male writers tend to do this a lot but it's like now i, I don't know i mean it's i feel like it's kind of neither here nor there right. um and like everyone should just be able to have their hair the way they want it yeah yeah <laughs> and like 2019 when you know gender is very f- fluid yeah, and it shouldn't be to suggest that like short hair can't be considered feminine. Like that, that's that too. also not true. But I, you know, I thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah, for sure. Getting around to Jimmy Cameron. Oh, Jimmy Cam. Legendarily horrible person <laughs> to <laughs> oh, no. to work with specifically. Not like a I mean, I guess it depends on how you look at it. He is a nightmare on set. I think he's very much an example of a male director who can get away with fucking murder Mm -hmm. doing things that a female director of any amount of experience would get fired and blacklisted for doing. And uh, I would also apply that to really any marginalized community Mm -hmm. uh, where it is, there is some truth to like, you only have so many shots. Um, Whereas white male directors with a, with a specific style can just fucking get away with murder. Some examples of things he's done in ways he's been described on the set of avatar he would take people's cell phones if they were out and he would nail gun them to the wall um let's see andrew gumbel of the independent says cameron is quote a nightmare to work with studios fear his habit of straying over schedules and over budget he is notorious on set for uncompromising and dictatorial manner as well as his flaming temper leonardo dicaprio told esquire magazine quote when somebody felt a different way on set there was a confrontation uh and what is it sounds uh, like it's putting it lightly yeah well you know uh leonardo dicaprio is not necessarily you know you would think that leonardo dicaprio for the amount of time he spends around 23 year olds would be more woke than he is but um <laughs> it's just not true 
Speaking of their experiences on filming Titanic, Kate Winslet said that she admired Cameron, but, quote, there were times I was genuinely frightened of him, unquote. He's just a notoriously scary guy. Linda Hamilton also uh, attested to this, where she was, I think, generally very, like, bent to his whims on set. And then the one time she asked to see playback Mm -hmm. of a scene she had just done, he screamed at her in front of everyone, and they later got married, which she said was the biggest regret of her life. (laughs) so what can you do uh and then just a brief uh one more thing as it pertains to sarah connor specifically Mm -hmm. you may recall that james cameron made some uh stupid ass comments oh i have this too 2017 Mm -hmm. uh when wonder woman came out and he just really couldn't take someone else making movies about women <laughs> and he was very reductive in it, the way he described it he said that gal gadot was too beautiful and that she was objectified and that she was you know and and you can view that however you want the point is that james cameron's like my female protagonist is the best female protagonist which means <laughs> that he only thinks female protagonists can be one way yes. and there's only one way to be a female action hero it's pitting women against each other for no reason it's egotistical it's annoying and also it's incorrect because he says in 2017 he says quote sarah connor was not a beauty icon she was strong she was troubled she was a terrible mother and she earned the respect of the audience through pure grit while there may be some truth to that if you look back at the way that james cameron describes sarah connor in his first screenplay that's not true it's just (laughs) he's just like a he's just kind of a stupid ass yes i agree Uh, i have a little bit of a little bit more specifics on this part of the context corner um when he made those comments originally about wonder woman and he also said that well because this character was so sexualized therefore the film is not groundbreaking exactly (laughs) right like okay and then patty jenkins the director of wonder woman responded by saying james cameron's inability to understand what wonder woman is or stands for to women all over the world is unsurprising to me though he is a great filmmaker he is not a woman strong women are great his praise of my film monster and our portrayal of a strong yet damaged woman was so appreciated but if women have to always be hard tough and troubled to be strong then we aren't free to be multi-dimensional or celebrate an icon of women everywhere uh, because she is attractive and loving, then we haven't come very far, have we? I believe women can and should be everything, just like male lead characters should be. And there is no right and wrong kind of powerful woman in the massive female audience who made the film. A hit it is can surely choose and judge their own icons of progress. Uh, and then James Cameron doubled down on his previous He's comments so dumb. and said about Gal Gadot, all the like, she, oh, but whatever, she was Miss Israel and she's drop dead gorgeous and Just that's another. not breaking ground. Uh, and then he said, uh, added about Sarah Connor in Terminator 2, saying uh, she wasn't there to be liked or ogled, but she was central, and the audience loved her by the end of the film. And it's just like, it's just you a, don't get it. <laughs> I like Patty Jenkins' response a lot. I'm like, she shouldn't have even had to fucking say anything right. to this man. It's just like, it's just another example of like, he made it about him for no reason. Yes. No one asked him to. It was in response to nothing. Like, it was just like, he just made it about him because that's what uh, he's like. Yeah. And it just sucks that he is like one of the very influential directors in Hollywood who is a straight white man who is 
trying to, it seems, attempt to include women in meaningful ways in his stories. Right. Uh, but he still has a very narrow view of what a like strong female protagonist should and could be. I hope that he <laughs> has, you know, demonstrates. I'm not. I'm not going to set my watch by it. But like, that was incredibly recent and completely fucking tone deaf and to double down. It's just like it's embarrassing for him. Yeah, <laughs> and um, he should be ashamed. Indeed. Uh, the last thing I had to say in in this context corner is that it appears that uh, the Sarah Connor character is very much based on James Cameron's mother. Huh. Did you know, well, th- we didn't know before today, <laughs> that James Cameron is Canadian. I suspect we didn't know this because he's notoriously mean. So no <laughs> one would be like, he's probably Canadian. But he is Canadian. <laughs> and in a profile of him, and this is, I wouldn't recommend this article. It was in Vanity Fair in 2009 when Avatar was coming out. And it was called James Cameron, Secret Feminist. <laughs> and it is just praising woke icon James Cameron. Like, who cares? But the interesting passage concerning his mother goes as follows. Quote, Cameron's mother, Shirley, is Sarah Connor trapped in the body of a Canadian grandmother. I don't know why Jim thinks I'm so reliant, Shirley shrugged to me, professing bewilderment that she might be the inspiration for the gutsy maternal characters in The Terminator and Aliens. Well, I can take a guess. While a mother with three kids under age eight, James was the oldest of what would ultimately be five, Shirley joined the Canadian Women's Army Corps, happily trooping off on weekends in fatigues and combat boots to assemble a rifle while blindfolded and marched through fields in the pouring rain. At a time and place, Ontario, Canada, in the 50s and 60s, when most women set aside their personal pursuits for the sole ambition of homemaking, Shirley was a painter and attended courses in subjects like geology and astronomy. Often she brought along her oldest son. So uh, I think that that is, a, that's lovely. So that makes the first Terminator movie even more confusing because again it seems like he couldn't envision a world where a woman would be important because she's the one who has like military training and combat training Mm -hmm. and leadership tendencies but his mother was in the military right Right. I mean at least he course corrects (laughs) on the second one I don't know I mean yeah but I was well speaking of course correcting love what may I oh yes share um so these are spoilers for Terminator Dark Fate so if you would like to uh, avoid these spoilers skip ahead about a minute and a half okay I did see Terminator Dark Fate brag and I will say that that movie corrects the idea that women are only important because they are mothers of the important men Mm -hmm. Uh, because in this movie the character being protected uh, is danny a latinx woman she is the person who ends up becoming the leader of the human resistance against the machines Uh, also the protector this time is also a woman Uh, she is a an enhanced human named grace played by mackenzie davis And then Sarah Connor, Linda Hamilton, is back. And so you see a bunch of scenes with Danny, Grace, and Sarah all working together and getting stuff done. 
now Grace and Sarah seem to hate each other for what feels like kind of no reason. So that's a little whatever. Awesome. Uh, but the well, movie it was does. Written by five men. So. Right. <laughs> and the female characters aren't necessarily well developed. And I just had some other issues with the movie. But the movie does pass the Bechdel test a bunch. So that's great. there's just some of the some of the mistakes that I think the earlier Terminator films did that Dark Fate attempts to correct at the end of the day at the end of the day i just want women to write the movie and for people to stop rebooting franchises (laughs) (laughs) yes because nothing's ever going to be as good as terminator 2 exactly stop trying Mm. let's all move Move on on with our lives okay i think that's all i had that's all i had all right do these movies pass the bechdel test uh the first one i feel like i think the first one might it might because we've got sarah talking to ginger her Uh roommate and we have sarah talking to i believe the characters named in the credits as nancy Who's or Nancy? No, the other waitress that she oh, talks yes. to. I don't think we learn her name in, in the movie. In the movie. Though. Mm. But that other... So the, the server at the diner tells Sarah about the news broadcast about another Sarah Connor getting murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, does Sarah respond? I can't totally remember. Sarah does respond. Okay. Uh, it's kind of... I mean, it's kind of those throwaway... I mean, it's kind of two throwaway to count, but they say hi to each other at one point. You're late. Hi. Uh, <laughs> then there's that moment where Sarah kind of responds. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily with words, but she kind of says like, oh, <laughs> you know, like one of those. It's like they're talking to each other. It's about the murder of other women. But, you know, if maybe it maybe it counts. I don't know. Yeah, that one I feel like I wouldn't necessarily count those because we don't ever learn that character's name, I think. But then Sarah and Ginger do talk a little bit, but these conversations go something like Ginger says they're looking at each other in the mirror and Ginger says like better than the mortal man deserves. And then Sarah kisses Ginger on the cheek. Uh, And then later she's like, Ginger, have you seen Pugsley? My feminist icon iguana, but he's a man, but he's a Pugsley's a male iguana. So she responds and says, not recently. Did you check the messages? And then they talk about the guy who cancels on Sarah. So that doesn't pass. And then she says, I'm going to a movie kiddo okay ginger says and then sarah says you and matt have a good time but we have two lines there <laughs> yeah so yeah. maybe i don't know if it does pass it's, it's a, by it's the skin scant. of its teeth and then what about what you have for two i think no i think two does not pass there was one moment where i thought Teresa and sarah were almost talking but then it turns out Teresa was talking to her husband right so. uh, although sarah does say to Teresa, get down on the floor bitch fucking down now and teresa screams yeah so does it pass could Um, so you know uh it it doesn't i don't know uh which is i I think again like you almost and not to say that you know sarah connor is characterized in the same way that princess leia is but just that tendency of like there shall be no more than one strong woman in any movie like that rule kind of holds in at least these two movies yes even though the character the strong female character you get is great there's no women for her to talk to nope so that's that i think what would you rate the movie the, the two i feel movies. like we gotta split it right yeah got, they're very different in the way they treat their female protagonists yes. i think yes i agree okay yeah. so for terminator one 
I think I would only give this like a one and a half or a two, maybe just because of the whole like, you're only important because you're a mummy of a man who's important. And yeah. like, she's not characterized enough. We don't know anything about her aspirations. She's not equipped with any skills that make her able to contribute to her own safety or of like getting away from the Terminator, different stuff like that. I feel, I feel like it's only like a one and a half kind of thing. Okay. But Terminator 2, I would double it and give it a three <laughs> because it's still just by the nature of, you know, sequels and storytelling, the different hangups I have about the first movie just carry over into Terminator 2, you know, the whole like very strong emphasis on but I'm a mummy and that's my major motivation uh, and stuff like that but because she we see you know all of her general badassery I think I'm gonna go a one and a half and then a three respectively I'm gonna go a one and four I think oh my uh one I really don't have any love at all for the first Terminator movie I think that her character is like severely underwritten and then I like the growth she shows in the last act of the movie but I don't feel that it's more than uh nipples worth of growth Mm -hmm. um I don't like that she's told the person she's gonna become she can't name her own child she's defined by her motherhood (laughs) etc etc I I you know and again I know that people are gonna roast me but I'm just like I'm just not attached to these movies one nipple for the first one uh and then I think I would go I I again like you were saying I have similar issues with her being defined by her motherhood in the second movie but I think just kind of based off of how it does seem like especially in a this gigantically popular because the the second movie did even better than the first movie it made over 500 million dollars and it was a very expensive you were saying it was the most expensive movie made to date and it still doubled its budget over and I think seeing a character like Sarah Connor kick ass have those moments of catharsis have the idea of believing women effectively tackled in a huge mainstream blockbuster movie yeah, yeah, yeah. is yeah I mean for its time that's like huge and mm-hmm. like I wish that there was less defining her by her motherhood I wish that there was less I need to find a father for my boy but I just yeah I, I think it's so it lets her be so much more and and definitely paved the way for more effectively written female action heroes. Yes. So I'm going to go one in four. Wowie. No fractions for Jamie today. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. The Terminator one and two episode and our three year anniversary episode. Ooh, so, ooh. you know, happy three years once again, Jamie. Thank you. Here's to five million more. <laughs> There's so many more movies to do. <laughs> um, well, hey, Jamie, where can people follow you on the internet? Oh, uh, you can follow me at Jamie. We never do this. I know. Uh, but I guess it's our but anniversary. We don't have, yeah, we, it's our anniversary. Mm. We, we don't have a guest. So it's, true. it's our time to shine. You can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Loftus Help. You can follow me on Instagram at Jamie Cry Superstar. Uh, by the time this is released, you listen to my podcast about being in Mensa for a year called My Year in Mensa. Wow. 
and, and that's, I think, what do you have to say, Caitlin? Oh, you have geez. another podcast, too. I sure do. It's called Sludge, an American Healthcare Story. Uh, season one has wrapped because luckily I am sludge now free. sludge free. But season two will be coming out sometime in the new year. So check that out. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Caitlin Durante. And as for the, our podcast's plugs, you can follow us on social media at Bechtelcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to our Matreon, our Patreon, a.k.a. Matreon, at uh, patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. It's $5 a month. It gets you two bonus episodes plus our entire backlog of bonus episodes. Woo! We got merch. We got merch at tpublic.com slash the Bechtel cast. Holidays are coming up, gang. If you if you want to treat yourself, treat someone you love, by all means. We've got all the designs. We also have our seasonal designs. If you want feminist icon baby grinch. <laughs> no, I think it's queer icon queer, baby queer grinch. Queer I- I'm so sorry, queer icon baby <laughs> grinch. Or just a simple Grinch in heels, yes. uh, text-free Grinch as well, um, or or any of our our designs, feminist icon, feminist icon, Alfred Molina, queer icon, all the classics. Indeed, they're all there for you. And hey, Jamie. Yes. Hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista, Caitlin. <laughs> Bye. Bye. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.